It's all right to praise. It's all right to praise God. That's the way you start a worship service, giving God all the praise. Today we are here to honor also our pastor, the beloved pastor of the Eastern Star Church for the last 15 years. I'm going to ask that you all stand to your feet as we welcome Pastor Jeffrey A. Johnson and his family, Sister Sharon Johnson, Jay Allen Johnson, Jordan Alexander, Jalen and Josiah. Come on, y'all. We can do better than that. We can do better than that. This is our pastor. Come on, y'all. One more time. If that was Peyton Manning, Edridge, and James, we'll be standing for them. So let's stand for the man of God. Pastor Johnson, we love you and we honor you this day. May God continually bless you and your ministry. You can be seated at this present time. We're going to ask one of our ushers to to come forward and welcome all of our visitors.
I said hallelujah. What a mighty God we serve. Has God done anything for you? Anybody in here been saved? Any of your burdens been lifted? Any of your sins been forgiven? Has God given you another chance? Then God deserves all glory. He deserves all honor, power, dominion. Anybody know God is the owner of our praise? Come on, somebody give him some praise in here. Hallelujah. Jesus. Father, we glorify you in your house. We lift you in this place. We bless your name, dear God. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're so worthy. You're worthy in here. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. We're not ashamed of you, dear God. We thank you for everything you've done in our life. Thank you for every burden you've lifted, for every sin you've forgiven, for every bill you've paid, for every sickness you've healed, for every marriage you've mended. God, you're worthy to be praised in this place. Now, Lord, let your word go forth today. Let somebody be changed today. Let some life be changed. Let some soul be saved. God, I'm believing it done right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Come on, put those hands together and bless God as you take your seat in this place. There's a word from the Lord in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel is right after the book of Ezekiel. So try to go to Ezekiel first because we ain't got all day, all right? Go to Ezekiel, and then one book after that is Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. I'm going to read verse 20, but in your own private time with God, I'm going to ask if you would read that entire sixth chapter. It makes up the context of what we're going to share with you on today. Daniel chapter 6, verse 20. I'm reading from the New International Version. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And that's what I want to preach. I want to preach the question that is asked in verse 20. I want to preach about, has God delivered you? When you look at the person next to you and just ask them, has God delivered you? Here's what you're asking them. Has God made a way? Has God opened the door? Has God lifted your burden? Has God answered your prayer? Has God made a way out of no way? Has God changed your situation? Has God brought you out? Now look at them and ask them again, has God delivered you? Now, let's see who it is that's asking this question in Daniel 6 and 20. It is Darius. Darius is the king of Babylon at this time. He is the head of a nation. He, he is the king of one of the most powerful nations in terms of military power. 
and also political influence. It is King Darius with all of his position and prestige, prominence, all his possessions, with all of his influence, with all of his power and his might. Darius wants to know, can God deliver? And I bring that up because all of us at some point in our lives are going to want to know that. I don't care if you're like Darius and you're a mover and a shaker, you're a big baller and a shot caller. I don't care what neighborhood you live in, what kind of car you drive, how you dress, how much money you make, what company you're CEO of. If you live long enough, there is going to come a day that you're going to ask, can God deliver? Does God have the ability to bring me out of the stuff that might shut me in? Now, let's look and see who King Darius is asking this question of. He is asking Daniel. Daniel at the time is in the lion's den in Babylon. But Babylon is not Daniel's hometown. This is not where he's from. Originally, he's from Israel. He's out of Jerusalem. But when Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon, the Babylonian army went over into Israel, conquered Israel, and literally destroyed Jerusalem tore down the temple. The temple at the time, this time, is still lying in ruins. The walls of fortitude around Jerusalem have been torn down completely. The gates have been burned, and, and Nebuchadnezzar took not all of Israel, but the smartest, the most intelligent, the strongest, the most skilled people out of Israel and took them into bondage in Babylon. So families were separated, friendships were fractured. They had gone through so much in that war-torn area. And so now Darius is asking not just anybody. He's asking Daniel, has God delivered you? He's asking somebody that has gone through something because Darius is tired of theoretical testimonies, testimonies simply made up of theory. That's when, people, that's when people say that I believe that God is bread in a starving land and they ain't never been hungry. And people say God is a doctor that's never lost a patient and they ain't never been sick. That God is a father to the fatherless. They testify, but yet their daddy has always been in their life. Darius said, I'm tired of theoretical testimonies. He says, I need to talk to somebody that's gone through something. I need to talk to somebody that's had some trials and troubles in their life. I need to speak to somebody that's experienced a broken family that's gone through oppression and suppression and depression. I need somebody who's been uprooted and gone somewhere they really didn't want to be. I want to ask you, has God delivered you? I believe I'm preaching to somebody that's had a few problems in your life. You've gone through a few trials and troubles, and you know God as a deliverer and a way maker. Now, how did Daniel end up in the lion's den? I mean, what did he do? What, what crime did he commit? What sin did, did he do to end up in the lion's den? Y'all, it wasn't because of sin and disobedience that he ended up in the lion's den. He ends up in the lion's den because of the jealousy and the envy of somebody else. And because they got jealous and envious, they had this devious plot against Daniel. Let me explain what I mean. In verse 1, it is an indication here that, that Darius is the king of Israel, but uh, the king of Babylon. But now Daniel is working for Darius, but this is the third king 
Daniel has worked for. He first worked for Nebuchadnezzar, and then he was under Belshazzar, and now he is under Darius. When Darius becomes the third king for which Daniel would work, Darius comes in and changes the infrastructure of how the, the kingdom is administrated. When he first got there, Darius saw the administrative team was set up like this. It was the king. And then there were three commissioners that answered only to the king. Under the commissioners were 120 governors that answered to the commissioners, and then they ran the kingdom. That was the organizational and operational structure of the kingdom. But Darius says, this doesn't fit my gifts, my abilities, and what I'm able to do. I got to turn this thing so that it functions in a way that I can administrate. So he takes Daniel, who was one of the three commissioners, and he gives him a promotion. Now, Daniel is a special executive assistant to the king. Daniel answers only to the king. He has been promoted. He is no longer in that peer group with the other commissioners. He is now their supervisor. They are his subordinates. Daniel is now second in command in all of Babylon. You would think his peer group would be excited. You would think his co-workers would be happy that he got a promotion. But y'all, that is not what happened. They became jealous and envious and began to plot against him. Let me pause early in the message to help you to understand that everybody is not going to be happy when the king promotes you. That when God begins to do things in your life that he's not doing in somebody else's life, that doesn't mean everybody's going to be excited for you. You would think family and friends and co-workers would be happy because of what God is doing in your life. And I mean in any area of your life. When you start getting a promotion, other folk are going to start tripping. If it's in your spiritual life and you go to another level and you start serving God more faithfully and, and you start getting filled with the Spirit, somebody's not going to like it. If it's on your job and you get a promotion, somebody's not going to like that. And certainly don't go own your own company and be CEO of your own corporation. And don't let your family start doing better. Don't let your family go to another level and your marriage gets mended and your kids start acting like they got some sense and your children are on the honor roll and your son and daughter just graduated from college don't you know there are some people that want you to stay just where you are and stay just like you are if you low life they want to keep you down if you average they want to keep you in in, in being meteor uh, or being uh, mediocre but I want you to understand something just because they don't like it don't mean God won't do it and they begin to plot against Daniel as they plotted against Daniel now they're stalking him Literally, they're following Daniel around because they're trying to attack the person of Daniel in hopefully getting the king not to promote him or to fire Daniel altogether. So they begin to stalk him. They're following him around town, looking for something in his public life that maybe they can tell the king to undermine what the king is going to do. But everywhere they go, they see Daniel not only loves God, but he lives for God. They thought maybe they could find Daniel sneaking into the wrong place, hanging out with the wrong people, maybe drinking something he's not supposed to be drinking or smoking and snorting something he's not supposed to snort. Or maybe Daniel is carousing with the women, but they discover he didn't just love God, he lived for God. 
They couldn't catch him publicly doing anything. So now they tried to follow him home. And there they are peeping in his window, literally peeping in his window, seeing maybe if we can't find him doing anything publicly, maybe we can catch him doing something privately. Now, if that had been us, they would have got most of us because most of us are holy in public and then hellish in private. Help me, somebody. They would have got most of us. But Daniel, when they peeped in his window, they saw him on his knees praying to God three times a day. He didn't just love him, y'all. He lived for him. And then when they couldn't get Daniel uh, in his public life and his private life, they were still not giving up in this plot. But let me tell you something. Jealousy and envy, it's ugly. When you become envious of somebody, you don't know it, but you have just turned ugly. You try to justify and rationalize your behavior. But when you are envious, when you take on envy, you just took on being ugly. Because when somebody is envious, that's when they have this insatiable desire to get what you have. If they're envious of you, they have this overwhelming desire inside to get what you have. And they'll do anything to get it. They'll cut you down to get it. They'll allow you to get it. Spread rumors on you to get it. Stab you in the back to get it. Dig a ditch for you to get it because envy is so ugly. Then the other side of envy... See, one side is that I, if I'm envious, then, then I want what you have so bad, I'll do anything to get it. The other side of envy is that if I'm envious, even if I don't want what you have, I don't want you to have what you have. See, everybody doesn't want to be a supervisor, so they don't want your job, but they don't want you to have the job either. Some people don't like Mercedes Benz. They don't want one, but they don't want you to drive one. Y'all ain't helping me preach this. Envy is when I don't want you to have even the very things you have. Now, when you become envious of somebody, if we're envious of somebody, the issue is not with the person who has the stuff. The issue is with the person who gave them the stuff. Because every good and perfect gift is from above. So that if somebody is jealous of what you drive, Jealous of where you live, jealous of what you wear, jealous of what you make, jealous of how much money you have, and jealous of the position you hold, their issue is not with you. Because the only way you got it is because God gave it to you. And had God not given it to you, you wouldn't have it. So now, if I got an issue with what you have, I got to take it up with God. Now, I got to be careful about taking something up with God because when I start arguing with God, he's got the power to cut that argument off at any time. Y'all, we got to be careful with this jealousy. Let me stay here just a couple of more minutes because I believe there's an envious spirit even present in here today. There's somebody sitting next to you that don't like what you have because they become so envious and they don't know how ugly it's making them. When you're envious, you start thinking in some crazy, strange ways on how to get at some... Okay, y'all not getting it. Um, oh, oh, these two guys, one owned the store on one side of the street, the other owned the store right across the street. They were competitors, and they both worked hard. They tried um, marketing and PR and everything, trying to win customers. They were trying to get as many customers as they, they want to have, as they want to have, and that's, that's okay. But they became envious of each other. And one of them was a Christian. And when he would go to God to pray for his store, 
He would pray, God, bless my store, but curse my competitor's store because he had so much envy in him. He wanted everything, didn't want his competitor to have anything. Now, God hears his prayers. God is disturbed because there is, there's envy twisted in and mixed in with his prayers. So God sends an angel down to talk to the Christian store owner. The angel goes to him and says, God has sent me to answer your prayer. God told me to tell you that anything you ask him for, he's going to give it to you. But he's going to give your competitor across the street twice as much as he gives you. Whatever you ask him for, God's going to bless you with it. But your competitor is going to get twice as much from God as you asked for. And the man said, wait a minute, let me get this straight. So if I ask God for a million dollars in sales, I'm going to get it. But my competitor is going to get $2 million? Right. If I ask God to double my customer base, then my competitor is going to have his quadrupled? Yes. You get what you want, but he gets twice as much. Man stood there. The angel said, what do you want? Go on and ask for your prayer. He said, I'm thinking. No, what do you want? You've been praying all this time. Go on and tell me what you want. And the man said, here's what I want you to do, angel. I want you to pluck out one of my eyes, cut off one of my arms, and then beat me half to death. <laughs> Y'all catch that on your way home. Envy makes you think crazy about how to deal with the situation that you're in. They're plotting against Daniel. They can't find anything on him publicly or privately. So since they can't attack his person, now they appeal to the pride of Darius. And in verse 7, they go to King Darius appealing to his pride. Say, Darius, you the man. You living large. You got it going on. You a moving shaker. You a big baller. That ain't in y'all's text. That's Jeffrey Johnson's translation. You a big baller and a shot caller. So here's what we need you to do, King Darius. Come up with a law that people will have to pray to you for 30 days. And that anybody that doesn't pray to you within that 30-day period, they're going to be punished because they've already followed Daniel home, peeped in his window, saw him praying three times a day. So this is how they're going to get to him by appealing to the pride of Darius. Darius, make it law that the next 30 days, anybody that prays got to pray to you. And if they don't pray to you, then they're going to get in trouble. Here's what they were saying to Darius. Darius, you need to make yourself a God for the next 30 days. You need to be God for a month. That when somebody prays, they pray to you. That everything is based on your agenda and your will and your priority. You don't have to check with anybody else. Everybody else has got to check with you. Make yourself God for a month. And you know, that's how some of us operate. That's why we ain't prayed in 30 days. That's why we haven't sought God for anything in 30 days. That's why we move according to our own agenda, our own will. Never ask God for his advice or his counsel because somehow we want to be God ourselves. But let me help you understand something. Life is too big for you to handle without God. If you try to be God for 30 days, no, no, let's make it 30 minutes. No, 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 no. You try to be God for one month. No, let's make it one minute. To try to be God for one minute, all hell is getting ready to break loose. Life is too big for you to handle on your own agenda. Instead of trying to get everybody else on your agenda, you ought to try to get on God's agenda. Do I have a witness in this place? Darius got too much pride. He makes it law. And when he makes it law, now in verse 10, 
Daniel hears, he learns of the plot and the plan of his haters and those who are trying to scheme against him. And watch what happens when Daniel learned the new law and what his haters were trying to do. The text says Daniel went to his own house. Y'all, that's very significant to this text. People are scheming against him. People are manipulating. They're jealous and envious. His job is in jeopardy. His boss loves him, but they are tricking his boss about his situation. Now, Daniel, how are you going to respond when other folk are trying to dog you? The text says Daniel went to his own house. Now, I'm bringing this up because when some of us go through stuff and haters come at us and people scheme on us, we go to everybody's house but ours. We go to the crack house. We go to the dope house. We go to the bar house. We go to the whore house. And what you need to learn how to do is go to your own house. Just because you catching hell outside the house don't mean you shouldn't go on back to the house. Do I have a witness in here? You got to keep your house straight even when other folk are trying to talk. I'm still in verse 10. Watch how Daniel handles it when he learns what other folk are doing. He goes to his own house. He goes upstairs. When he goes upstairs, you know what he's going to do. He's going to pray. When he goes upstairs, the text says his window is open to Jerusalem. Now, that's significant. His window is open to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was considered the holy city, which means Daniel's window was open to holiness. Even though other folk around him are raising hell, he's still open to that which is holy. Be careful when you go through your problems. You become so vulnerable, and you might tend to open up to some things you wouldn't normally open up to. Had I not been going through this, I wouldn't be showing up here. I wouldn't be with this person. I wouldn't be drinking this and smoking that. But you got to stay open to holy things when other folk are raising hell. Open to holiness. That window open to Jerusalem Jerusalem is an indication that the window is open to hope. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The walls are down. The temple is in ruin. Homes have been destroyed. But here comes Daniel, who's been uprooted and now living in Babylon. But he keeps looking to Jerusalem because no matter how bad it looks now, he believes that he serves a God that masters in resurrection. It's down now. The family's broken now. The walls are down. The temple is in ruin. Everything is in disarray. But I got to keep looking to Jerusalem because I still got some hope. I serve a God who masters in restoration. Y'all, whatever you're going through in your life, don't you lose hope. If your hope dies, your struggle stops. If your hope dies, then your progress ceases. If hope dies, you'll jump off a bridge. If hope dies, you'll put a bullet through your head. If hope dies, you turn to drugs and alcohol. But you got to open up to hope that no matter how bad it is, if God can raise a dead Jesus, I know he can raise my situation. He's in the restoration business. You got to keep on hoping, keep believing, keep trusting. Let me see if I can prove my point. Dr. Watts painted this portrait, and the portrait was entitled and is entitled A Portrait of Hope. 
That's what he titled it, A Portrait of Hope. But when you look at the portrait, it doesn't look like hope. He's painted a picture of a woman that's sitting on top of the world. That's a great position. But it's the condition of the world that's messed up. The world she's sitting on is filled with barrenness and sights of nothingness. It's a war-torn world. There are flowers that rest on the graves of dead soldiers that have died in battle. And there she is with her clothes ripped and torn. There's blood smeared all over her face. Her hair is in disarray. She's got a harp, but the harp only has one string because all the other strings have been broken. And then there are vultures who are flying over her head just waiting on her to die. And then Dr. Watts has the uh, audacity to name this portrait a portrait of hope. How can that be hope when she's sitting on top of a messed up world, barrenness, sights of nothingness and graves of dead soldiers her clothes are ripped and torn how can this be hope with blood all over her face and her hair is in disarray because of contrary winds how can this be hope with vultures over her head she's got a harp but it ain't got but one string because all the other strings are broken. Dr. Watts argues back this is hope I'm telling Dr. Watts this ain't no hope but when I look at the portrait a little more closely, I discover that there are some musical notes above the woman's head, which indicates though things are messed up, she's been able to play notes with one string. Y'all ain't getting this thing. Her world is messed up, but she can still play notes with one string. Y'all, that's hope. I don't care how jacked up your situation, how messed up your marriage, how bad with the predicament you're facing, you got to keep your hope alive because no matter how bad it is, you ought to still be able to send up some praise to God because God is still worthy. I'm still believing God is going to show up in my messed up world. That's hope. When you can make music with one string, she, he goes upstairs. Daniel was upstairs. Window was open to holiness and hope. Then he kneels down in humility, and he begins to pray. And he gives thanks. He's praying and praising. Getting ready to lose his job. His life is on the line. Folk been scheming. He's all by himself. His home is broken. He's in a place he really doesn't want to be in. His boss is insane, and he goes home, goes to another level. In essence, he's saying, I'm not going to deal with my enemies on their level. Just because they hate me don't mean I got to hate them. Just because they dog me don't mean I got to dog them. I'm going to another level. I'm going to humble myself by kneeling down to God, and I'm going to get my prayer on, and I'm going to get my praise on. I got to pause right here, y'all, because I need somebody to understand when you start praying, it will beat their plotting. Prayers always beats plots. When folk are plotting against you, you got to get your prayer life straight. Not just your prayer life, but your praise life. How dare you come to church? I'll bow down and I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know. what. Well, no, you got to come in getting your praise straight. Because the more you praise God, God lives in. 
he dwells in. God shows up in the praises of his saints. Do I have a witness in here? If you want God to show up in your situation, you better get your praise life together and get your prayer life. How many of you know God will show up in your situation? They got this devious plan. But, but look, at, look, at, look at Daniel. He, he's, he knows that deliverance has got to be prepared for. He's preparing for his deliverance by taking it to God in prayer. He knows he's got to face the lion's den. He knows the law. The text says when he learned of the law, he knew what they were trying to do. But he says, even though I got to face the lion's den, I'm going to keep on praying. I ain't going to let y'all mess up at my house what y'all doing at the house that makes laws. You know where all this mess was coming from? At the house that made the laws. And when the house that made the laws were messed up, Daniel said, I got to go to the crib because I can't let what they're doing at that house mess up my house. Darius was making laws at the house that made laws that did not include God. They said, you can pray. You just can't pray to God. So, so there, were no, there, there was no prayer allowed in schools in Babylon. There, there was no prayers that were allowed in public assemblies in Babylon. There were no prayers that were allowed in public gatherings at Babylon. See, that was going on at the house that made the laws. They had laws that wanted to exclude God. And the laws were also made to keep Daniel down. See, they said, we got to put something in place because Daniel is going too high. We got to put a glass ceiling in here to make sure that Daniel can't go any higher than a certain level. Daniel says, I don't care what y'all doing at that house. What I'm doing at my house. Okay, here it is. Here it is. Stop tripping over what's going on at the House of Representatives. Stop crying about what's happening at the State House. Stop tripping over what's going on at the White House. Go on and pray. Go on and vote. You got to vote if you're going to make a difference. You got to pray if you're going to make a difference. But here is the thing. Just because they messing up at their house don't mean I got to mess up at my house. If you don't want to pray at the White House, that's you. But I can still pray at my do I have a witness in here? And just if I pray at my house, I believe God will move at the White House. Oh, Daniel's praying. He's praying. And, and this is before the lion's den. He's praying in verse 10. Lion's den ain't until verse 16. Because if I prepare with prayer in verse 10, I don't care what happens in verse 16. This is what grandma calls being prayed up. She calls it being prayed up. Well, you don't wait till you get in it and start praying. Some of us don't even pray till trouble comes. We don't even pray till we're in a jam. Don't even pray till we're in a tight, in a fix. I'm with grandma. I'm praying every day. I'm falling down on my knees every day. I, I got to call on him every day. And if I call on him every day, when the crisis comes, I already know I'm going to make it. Why? I'm prayed up. Do I have a witness in here? So now Daniel goes against the law, and they lock him up. In verse 16, they throw him in the lion's den. He broke the law with praying. They throw him in the lion's den. They, this is a devastating predicament. He's not just in the lion's den. 
The, the lion, the den is filled with hungry lions. We know that because later on they eat some other people. They put a stone over the mouth of the den. Then they take some clay and seal the stone, take the ring of the king and, and put, and they put this, this seal. The, the king's ring is now in the seal. So anybody that sees it knows you better leave it alone or the same thing is going to happen to you. Now watch this predicament. There, there's a, there are lions, a stone, and a seal. Lions represent the fact that he has no power to resist. The stone indicates he has no place to run. And the seal indicates he has no person to rescue him. Am I preaching to anybody that's been in that predicament? Or maybe I'm preaching to somebody who's in that predicament right now. That the stuff you're facing, you have no power to resist or do anything about it. You have no place to run. You got to just stay there and take what you're dealing with. And then you don't have anybody who can come and rescue you out of that situation. If that's where you are, then you understand what Daniel was facing. Now watch this. His mess is so bad that King Darius can't sleep. Now I'm trying to show y'all something. Daniel is the one in the lion's den. But the text says the king can't sleep. He loves Daniel. He's the one that promoted Daniel. He didn't know they were scheming against Daniel. And so he's sitting up all night worried about Daniel. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. You know your stuff is jacked up when other folk can't sleep. I mean, the king is in the palace. He, your stuff is so messed up, Daniel, that the king is pacing all night long. If, if you're going through something and your mama and daddy is pacing, your children, they pacing, uh, your boss is everybody's so worried about you, they can't sleep. Watch me now. The Bible indicates that Daniel is in the lion's den. The old African-American preacher back in the day, when he would preach this text, he says Daniel went to sleep on the belly of the lion. It ain't in the text. It's in the creative mind of the black preacher to show us the trust level of Daniel. That while somebody else is pacing and can't sleep, Daniel uses his situation as a time to get some rest. Since y'all won't let me come to work, what I'm going to, oh, y'all ain't hearing me. And he's resting in the power of God. Y'all, let me tell y'all something. Whenever you're going through your stuff, God never sleeps nor slumber. God can't sleep. Now, why am I up all night? If God is going to be up, he can't sleep. I'm going to sleep. And I'm just going to trust that God works the midnight shift. I'm going to trust that while I'm sleeping, God is working. It's the next day now. Next day, here comes the king. He's at the mouth of the lion's den. Stone is there. Lions are inside. Seal is still there. Daniel is in the den. Here comes the king. It's the next day. He hollers in, Daniel, has your God that you've served continually been able to deliver you? Daniel hollers back out. My God sent an angel, and he delivered me. Now watch this. The king hollers in. 
has thy God delivered you? Daniel hollers out, my God sent an angel. Y'all ain't getting it. Has thy God delivered you? My God sent an angel. See, here's why we can't handle our stuff. We don't know the difference between thy God and my God. We keep trying to live by thy God. Somebody tries to win you to Christ. You start saying, well, my mama's a Christian. My daddy is a Christian. Grandpa used to be a deacon. Big mama helped build. Y'all, that's too much thy God stuff. We need some people who can talk about, y'all ain't getting this thing. He's my God. And that's why when folks start telling me what God can't do, that God is not a healer, God's not a deliverer, God don't do that stuff. See, I don't know what God they talking about. That's thy God stuff. But if you're talking about, come on somebody, he's my God. And my God will send an angel. He delivers, he delivers, he delivers. Here, 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 here's, here it is. I'm, I'm closing right here. I really only have one point to this sermon. I've rushed this sermon on purpose because everything I've talked about thus far is simply background. I got one point. It takes me two minutes to preach it. There's only one point. So if you don't get this one point, I've wasted 40 minutes of your time. You got to get one point. Who was it? Gardner C. Taylor? Somebody asked Dr. Taylor, how many points is a sermon supposed to have? He said, at least one or you wander aimlessly making none. So yeah, y'all got to get my one point. This is it. It's only going to take me two minutes. So if you didn't get none of that other stuff, you're still in good shape. Because I only have one point. Now the one point goes back to the question I started asking you at the beginning of the sermon. Has God delivered you? Y'all remember the question? Now, before you give your answer, before you give your answer, I got to give you my one point. Has God delivered you? This is the king asking Daniel, has God delivered you? Daniel says, my God delivered me. Watch this now. Here the king goes to the situation. Stone, lions, clay, seal, ring of the king. Has God delivered you? Daniel now, in the lion's den, hollers out, my God, send an angel. Y'all gonna miss my one point. It's only one point. Has God delivered you? Daniel is still in the lion's den. Still got haters scheming against him. His job is still in jeopardy. His life is on the line. Lions, stone, seal, the ring of the king. But he says, my God has already delivered me. Y'all, it ain't but one point. Here it is. I don't care what your situation looks like. If God has said you're delivered, you delivered. I don't care what the doctor said. I don't care what your attorney said. I don't care what your marriage looked like. I don't care what you strung out on. I don't care how long you've been drinking. I don't care how long you've been snorting. If God says you delivered, then you are delivered. Do I have a witness in here? I don't care what the bill collector says. 
I don't care what the creditor says. I don't care who say you get ready to lose your home. If God said you're delivered, then you are delivered. Let me close it like this. Um, when, when Jay Allen, Jay Allen, my oldest son, when Jay was, was four years old, that's when Sharon and I made the switch from glass bottles to plastic bottles, from glass containers to plastic containers because we were trying to make Jay independent so Jay could make his own sandwiches. He could make his own bologna sandwich, get his own mustard, get his own ketchup. But the ketchup and the mustard was in a glass container. So we got tired of seeing glass on the floor. So we switched from glass containers to plastic containers. So one day, and we didn't tell Jay we made the switch. He's four. His ice cream has already been set. He's going to the refrigerator to get his caramel to pour on his ice cream. He takes out the caramel new plastic bottle, and he's trying to untwist the top to pour the caramel on his ice cream the way he's always done it. But we made a switch. It's a flip top on the plastic. It's not to twist off like the glass. Jay's struggling, trying to twist the top off of the plastic container to get his caramel for his ice cream. I'm just standing back. I ain't saying nothing. I ain't doing nothing. I'm trying to make him independent. He can't get the top off. He's becoming frustrated. Tears are welling up in his eyes. So I saw his frustration. I said, Jay, bring daddy the bottle. He brings it to me. I'm getting ready to flip the top so he can get his caramel out. And then when I get ready to flip the top, I discover it's already open. I had left it open the last time I used it. So since it's already open, I gave it right back to Jay. I said, Jay, it's already open. Get as much out of it as you want. Jay, again, is trying to twist off the top of this because he ain't never seen nothing like this before. But I said, son, I'm aware of what's going on. Trust daddy. It's already open. Get as much out as you want. He's still crying, still in frustration because he won't listen to his father. He ain't never seen nothing like this before. It doesn't look open to him because he ain't been in this before. Trust your daddy. I left it open the last time I was there. Y'all ain't getting this thing. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care what it looks like. Just because you ain't seen it before doesn't mean our Heavenly Father hasn't seen it before. If you talk to your father, he'll tell you it's already open. Come on out. Do I have a witness? Now let me ask you again. Has God delivered you? Somebody shout yes. Hey. Hey. Won't he make a way? Won't he open doors? Won't he bring you out? Won't he pay bills? Won't he answer prayers? Won't he make a way out of no way? Somebody shout yes! 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 Now look at your neighbor. Ask him one more time. Has God delivered you? Uh, don't play with him. Tell him I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what they say. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what you're facing. Ask them again. Has God delivered you? Do I have a witness? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Somebody shout yes. Listen, 
Daniel said he's my God. And that's where it all starts, y'all. My God, personal, individual, he's mine. I understand the corporate. I understand the corporate. I understand church community and Christian community. I understand that. But until you can say, my God, personally, you can't hook up with us corporately. You can't say God is a deliverer, God is a way maker, until you know him for yourself. It ain't enough to come to church. It's not enough to sing with us and shout with us and dance with us. You got to know God as your personal Savior through his son, Jesus Christ. You got to be able to say, my God. If you can't say that today, I'm, I'm going to give you a chance. We extended this invitation. I don't care what you've been through, what you've dealt with, where you are. God's already seen it all. He's seen it all. He knows how to bring you out. But it starts with a personal relationship with him. Preacher, that's what I need. I've been coming to church, but I'm not really a Christian. I watch church on TV. I listen to gospel music and gospel tapes. But you said I got to be able to say he's my God. I can't say that. Then get up out of that seat where you are right now and come and receive Jesus into your life. He masters in resurrection and restoration. Come on right now. Just get up out of that seat. Say, excuse me. I'm getting ready to get my God.